Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. Thank you for um, that intro, Mike. How did you know it was going to be one of those messages today? I was like, God, this is not a very, like, Valentine's, happy hearts and chocolates kind of message, but I do feel that I have a word that's from God, and I know that because I kept trying to preach a million other things, and I kept trying to bring in all these other good ideas, and over and over and over, the Holy Spirit is like, that's great, but that's not what you're doing this morning. That's not what I'm saying, and so um, this message was really birthed out of a few thoughts that I had, and I wrote them down Um, a little while ago in my notes on my phone, and I thought, this is a great message to preach to other people, for the church. The church needs this message. But be careful what you write down, what you get all excited about sharing with someone else, because uh, little did I know I was going to have to walk that out first in my own life before I had any authority to talk about it to anybody else. Um, And so recently, I won't give you the timeline because it'd be embarrassing, but recently... Marco and I, we were like in our marriage, just sort of feeling stuck. Like we were in this place where we were cycling through the same arguments, the same conversations, bumping into the same misunderstandings, the same ceilings, the same triggers, and we were just like not clicking, okay? I don't know if you've ever been there. Maybe I'm the only married person in the house. Okay, thank you. See that hand? See that hand? (laughs) We may or may not have an altar call for all of us, but... um, you know, we've been married for almost 15 years. We've been together for over 20 years. And so I'm 36. I'm like, I've been together. I've been living life with you longer than I lived life without you. And I fell in love with him when I was 16. And it was like the most, you know, just romantic love story. And I've loved, you know, everything about our marriage. But I feel like how many married people know that you can go through really high highs, you can go through mountaintops, and then you're going to go through some seasons that feel like valleys. It feels like, I don't even know who you are. I don't even know who I am. I don't even know how we're going to make this work. I don't know if I can do this anymore. It was a low point, but there was one night we had a particular conversation that we'd been having over and over and over again, and I'm like, he just doesn't understand me, and he's like, she's just crazy, and we're going through this whole, you know, we laugh because it's true, (laughs) and I was like, kids, you know what? We're going to have a sleepover tonight, and Harper, mommy's going to sleep in your bed, and daddy is going to sleep, I mean, and River can sleep in our bed with daddy, and they're like, you're the best parents ever, but I was like, I am not going to sleep in that bed with you. I was so mad, so I went to my daughter's room, and I'm like sleeping amongst all these Barbies, and And I'm like really crying out to God. It was like a very desperate, raw moment with the Lord where I'm like, I don't know how to get through these things. Like, I don't know. I don't see how this is going to change. There's nothing in my power that I can do to fix some of these situations that are going on. And like, you know, what's going to happen to us? And I was letting like the enemy and despair and all this hopelessness come in. And I know divorce is never an option. That was not at all where I was going, but I was just feeling so stuck, right? Like, God, I need you. And I was so mad at Marco because I was like, 
what was really happening was we were having all these issues. He kept trying to call me out, and I kept trying to tell him he was wrong. And then I wondered why we were fighting. And I was like, God, like, you just need to help Margo understand. And I was, you know, the Holy Spirit is our secret weapon. He's our helper. He's our counselor. He's our friend. He will lead us and guide us into all truth. And he was like, um, actually, um, there's some things that he's saying that are true. And these are some blind spots. These are some areas and ways that you've done relationships in life that you have refused to see. And it's gotten to this point. And so I carried my 13-year-old son back into his bed so that I could get back in bed with my husband and tell him that I was sorry. And it was like the Taylor Swift song that's like, it's me, hi, I'm the problem, it's me. And he's like, what, like, what happened to you? Like, thank God my wife is back. But, um, I really believe we experienced breakthrough in that moment, and there's a few things that we're going to talk about today that I just feel are going to help all of us, no matter if we're single, if we're married, if we're believing to be married, if we've been married. I mean, Dad and Carol, your story is literally the living testimony that there is nothing too hard for God, that God, the God that we serve can do anything. And their story is the gift that keeps on giving, and it gives us all faith and hope for what God wants to do for us. So this is good for all of us. Um, and I really feel like, you know, today we're going to talk about biblical marriage. And I feel, and you've been probably hearing it from multiple leaders and pastors, that um, in this season, God is calling the church to maturity. And the process of maturing, like when you're little, it happens naturally. You just grow and you develop and mature. But when you're an adult, like maturity is a choice. It's a decision to go through a difficult process of transformation that requires hard conversations, looking in the mirror, um, not being in denial about things, like recognizing where you are the common denominator in situations, and having a heart that wants to change. And I want to read us this scripture this morning. It's Hebrews 5.11. It says, this is um, the author of Hebrews says to the church, there is much more we would like to say about this, but it is difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. That was me. You have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you, again, the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. But solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. And I just want to give you some assurance this morning that you go to a church that does not serve only milk, that is not here to cater to immaturity and infant mindsets when it comes to the faith, but we're here and the, the pastors and the leaders of our church know that we're good for it, to mature. This is a discipleship church where it requires coming to faith face-to-face -face with the truth, with the word of God, and understanding where we need to grow. Because honestly, we have an assignment from God as a church to take cities, to take territories, to bring the kingdom of God to not only San Diego, but to other states, to Baja, to regions, and to the nations. 
But he can't do that with immature, malnourished, infantile Christians who only know how to drink the milk of God's word. If we don't know how to lead ourselves, if our marriages are hanging on by a thread, if our families are falling apart at the seams, it is really hard to go and to help anybody else. And so this morning, it's gonna be a little bit like a steak dinner. It's gonna be hearty, it's gonna be meaty, it's gonna be the meat of the word. And I thought about it, if you haven't had a steak dinner in a long time, it's a little bit hard to digest when you go to Ruth's Chris with your gift card and have this amazing steak. It takes a little bit more to break it down and to digest. So it's okay if today is like a little bit, I need to take a minute, we're going to go home, we're going to have conversations, we're going to pray about this, we're going to let the Holy Spirit help us process, but it's going to be a morning of breakthrough. And so one of the reasons it's important to know what the Bible says about marriage is because of the world that we live in. And I have fallen victim to this where the spirit of the world wants to tell us that the the version of marriage that we see in the Bible, which isn't just a version of marriage, God created marriage, he instituted marriage, he designed it, it's his idea, that um, that version is like ancient and outdated and culturally irrelevant and misogynistic and it needs to be redefined, right? This is what the world is telling us. And if we're not careful, we start to think, oh, you're right, you know, like we start to think about gender roles and we start to have these conversations and is this, you know, offensive and, and am I wrong? And we have to go back to the word of God and understand what it says otherwise Otherwise, we have nothing to offer anyone else. We're going to fall for a lie. And if we take our cues from the world system, we know where that leads us, right? The world has nothing. It wants to give us all of this advice about how to live our life, but the statistics show that it is a disaster. That if you take your cues on marriage from what the world says, you're going to end up probably not married and probably very miserable. I'll spare you the statistics this morning because we all know them. But just like Tyler said, we're not going to participate in what the world has to say of how our marriages are going to look, where we're going to end up, what our future holds, but we're going to follow the word of God. Amen. All right, so to break this down, I want to look at a story that might be familiar to some of us, but it's in the Old Testament in the book of 1 Kings, and it's, the, um, it's really the story of Elijah. It's where Elijah is the prophet, the man of God on the scene at the time, but there's a wicked king and a wicked queen, and they're married, and they're ruling in the nation of Israel at the time, and it is King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. Okay, told you, it's not like the Valentine's message maybe you came for this morning, but it's so good. And, um, you know, we're not going to get into every little nook and cranny of the story because there's a lot there. But what I want to look at is some of the character traits that we see in this marriage um, and what God has to say about it. So 1 Kings 16.33 said, Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all of the kings of Israel that were before him. That'll give us our basis for kind of God's view on what went down in this situation. And really, the devil has no new tricks. So when we read the Bible and we see the wickedness that we see in the Old Testament and we see the things that God calls out and we see the way that nations crumbled and destruction came upon the people, he has no new tricks. It is the same demonically inspired spirits that are trying to steal, kill, and destroy our destiny, our marriage, our purpose, our hope, and they take different forms and it is literally tale as old as time. 
So we know anything that comes from the devil is to steal, kill, and destroy. John 10.10 said, I have come to give you life and life more abundant. But the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. So God, you know, when he made our marriages, when he put two people together, it's not just for the purpose of like, you guys are just, you know, like each other so much and there's so much chemistry and they're just like so attractive and like that is why I fell in love with Marco. But it wasn't until we got married that I understood that God had a purpose for our marriage that was bigger than just us. I didn't know the things that he would call us into. I didn't know the breakthrough that we would experience in the two becoming one that he would use to help other people. And so, you know, the Bible says, that one can chase a thousand, but two can put 10,000 to flight. And so there is purpose, there is power, there is something special, there is the design of God wrapped up on the inside of two people coming together that if I were the devil, that would be my very number one priority to separate what God has joined together. So what does the Bible say about marriage? Ephesians 5, 21 through 33. I think it's gonna be on the screen. It says, and further... Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds it and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Okay, it's a lot to bite off this morning. There's the steak. Here we go. It's going. Um, And, you know, um, I feel like God showed me in this little video that I watched on Instagram a little bit of a visual picture, if you're visual and you want to see something um, that depicts what I feel like the scripture is showing. And it's a little video that I want us to watch. So I'll give you context. It's two people. They've never met. They're from two different countries. They're both professional dancers. They have no idea the song that's about to play. And here they are taking the dance floor. Honey, how do you see your This is the Valentine's party.
watch two people, one leading, one following, dancing through life, not knowing what's coming their way, but what a beautiful picture of God's design for marriage. And I feel like, you know, some of you might watch that video, and it feels like the furthest picture of the dance that you're dancing with your spouse. And you're in good company. We have been there, like I told you, recently, some period of time before this morning. And I know what that feels like, to feel like you've fallen out of step, or like you're meant to be two-stepping, and you're stepping on one another's toes. And it's meant to be this beautiful duet, but it feels like a duel, and it feels like how can we ever get our groove back. But... Today, the Holy Spirit's going to help us. He's going to expose some areas that the enemy's been robbing us of living our best life, dancing that dance, and just help us see where we maybe have let him have a little bit of a foothold. And so how do we know today if there is, like I said, um, there's no new tricks. So if there's a spirit of an Ahab or Jezebel or the same characteristics we saw in that relationship, how do we know if they're operating in our marriage and trying to take us out? I'm glad you asked. These are our points this morning. So point number one, and these are, um, I should probably say the title of my message, which is, how is your husbandry? I know that sounds like this is for the men, but do not worry, ladies, I got you, and you are not going to come out unscathed this morning. Because point number one, who is taking the lead? And how's your husbandry comes from this idea, and you've probably heard it from Pastor Jurgen or Pastor Leanne, when we talk about relationships where it's easy to look at two people as separate, and you know, one is responsible for themselves, but really the biblical picture of marriage, we just read it in Ephesians 5, is that the man is the covering, and he's the leader, and he is the one who's responsible to wash the wife with the water of the word, and the woman of God comes under under her husband and under his leadership and allows his voice in her life. And there's this beautiful picture of health and leadership. And so oftentimes when we see a wife who is maybe not in a good place, not doing well, a hot mess on wheels, it's interesting to think through the lens of if a wife is the product of the man's husbandry, what is going on in the marriage? What is going on in the man that has left her feeling uncovered, out of order, out of step on the dance floor alone? It's two, it's both of us. So point number one, who is taking the lead? I'm gonna break it down um, with the Jezebel Ahab spirit. The spirit of Ahab, these are some characteristics that we see in the story. And I encourage you to go through 1 Kings, read about it, read through it, ask the Holy Spirit for revelation because there's a lot there. But the spirit of Ahab symbolizes is the giving up of authority and the advocating of responsibility. He gave up his authority as king to his wife, and when she abused it, he remained passive, avoiding confrontation, and he let her have her own way. So when we were first married, a very well-meaning pastor thought he was being really cute and funny, and he would say it all the time, that his best advice for married couples was two words, and that is, yes, dear. And it was this cute idea that a happy wife is a happy life. While yes, all of those things are true, um, the idea of being a husband that says, yes, dear, no matter what your wife thinks, says, does, and you're just there to appease every whim that she has and allow her to take the reins is not the biblical picture of marriage. So we have this king who is meant to lead a nation, and we see in the story, it's his wife who he was actually, um, his lineage worshipped the Hebrew god of Yahweh. Her lineage worshipped Baal, um, pagan god that 
all sorts of wicked things. So just in his decision to choose this person and not uh, the two become one, but adopt her ideas, adopt her culture, adopt her belief system and her customs led to what the Bible says was one of the most wicked kings of all time. The spirit of Jezebel, his wife, Jezebel, the name actually means unmarried, uncommitted, unrestricted, independent of authority and covering. So she was married, but she wasn't married. It's dominating, controlling, manipulative, deceitful, and I believe the world has tried to define Jezebel with its own term, and that is the feminist movement. So we see this. The feminist movement wants to call anything that is strong and that is leadership and that is masculine and God's design for men, they want to call it toxic so that Jezebel can turn men back into an Ahab. So that's just side note. But um, these spirits work together in tandem. So on their own, there's enough there. But they come together. This is like the worst codependent, destructive, toxic combination that you can find. And I want to just put it out there. It doesn't matter if you're a male or female. You could operate under one of these spirits. You could find these influence. You could find this oppression coming into your life, whether you're male or female. But for the sake of today talking about marriage, we're going to go with, you know, king and queen, Jezebel and Ahab. So when a husband, they work in tandem. So Ahab's empower Jezebel's and Jezebel's empower Ahab's. And it creates this cycle that causes us to feel the opposite of what we saw on the screen. So when a husband has a dominating, controlling, emotional, manipulating wife, he becomes exhausted. And he gives in to passivity rather than confrontation and leadership because he has been worn down to his wit's end, okay? This, I think, is making sense to a lot of us because we've seen this either in our own relationship or other relationships that we're close to. But when a wife, on the other hand, has a passive husband who refuses to lead his family, who abdicates his role as the leader in the home, who steps back from his responsibilities, it creates a gap in the relationship. Somebody's got to lead. Somebody's got to make the decisions. And so it puts this pressure on a woman to fill a gap and to become a role that she was never designed to fill and become a personality type and have character traits that she was never meant to have because of the stress and the, um, there's, a, there's an order that has been broken. Just like Pastor Leanne's message last week, like don't break the cycle. There are some ways that God has designed things that when we step out of it, Chaos ensues and we wonder, what is wrong with our marriage? What is going on here? It's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. So also I want to say this type of dysfunction can also lead to a dynamic in a relationship that's more like a mother-son. So it's more like, am I allowed to do this? Am I going to get in trouble if I do this? Um, and so the man becomes passive because he doesn't want to start an argument. He doesn't want to start a fight. He doesn't want to get in trouble with mommy. And mommy feels like she's got to do everything for him and solve every problem for him because he's not doing it. So we see how this is a cycle. Um, but husbands, this morning, what does it look like to lead your wife? And these are some questions I want to ask ourselves. And just take a deep breath before we go here. Um, and I'm going to smile as I say it because this is so good for us. And these were questions we had to answer. So have you left the weightiest matters in your life and your marriage to fall on your wife's shoulders? So not 
you know, it's maybe something she's good at or something she loves doing, but she's having to do it because you've refused to, which is, you know, carrying the financial burden, provision, disciplining, raising children. Does she have to make all the major life decisions for you because of your passivity? Do you make her handle the hard stuff, the hard conversations with the teens, all the talks, the housework, the bills, and you want to come home, and we see this in every sitcom, and he comes in after a long day, and his only responsibility is what's outside of the home, and he cracks open the beer, and he sits on the lazy boy, and the wife has to handle everything, um, and we see this in every sitcom, right? We've got this crazy wife who's yelling and who's nagging, and the husband's just like, whatever, yes, dear. And this is not the picture of biblical marriage. Are you the voice of discipline and, and instruction and authority with your children, or do you just want to only be the fun dad? Have you fallen into passivity and come under an Ahab spirit? Okay, wives, your turn. What does it look like to come under your husband's leadership? Are you allowing your husband to lead or has he become worn out trying to arm wrestle you to be the leader I am very guilty of this I have to say when it comes to I know we're talking about wives submitting to your husbands and this is where the world has tried to twist it and say that you're going to come under his control and that you have to be a doormat like anybody that knows me knows I am as feisty as it comes, as far as a woman of God in my marriage. Like, I thought I was this easygoing, super chill, go with the flow, like, you know, passive, whatever kind of person, until I met this man <laughs> who brought out these other things in me that I didn't know were there. And I met him when I was 16, so pretty much it's been my whole life. But I married a feisty, strong alpha male Latino, and I realized there was a lot more spice in me than I knew. And so I'm talking about these types of women. I'm not just talking about be quiet, say nothing. You let him, you know, be the voice of everything. But do you assume responsibilities of the weightiest matters in your life and your home because you don't trust your husband or you think that you will do a better job if you do it on your own? Do you constantly transgress your financial goals as a family and spend whatever, whenever, knowing your husband has given up in this area? Also guilty. It was like, this is perfect. He's kind of not really on my case about this right now, so I'm just going to, you know, go to Nordstrom and, like, just live my best life and hope that I'm not going to get in trouble over here. How many women have we done that when I actually had stepped out of unity with where we were going as a family, what we were believing for, what the next chapter of our life was going to look like, financial stability, security, legacy for our future, um, because I knew that he had just was pretty much worn out in this area of having to come and pull me into agreement with him. Do you stand in the way of your husband trying to discipline your children, even if it's not perfect, and we're not talking about abuse, of course, but do you stand in the way out of fear that he will hurt their feelings or be too hard on them? What I see over and over in this dynamic, this is very prevalent in our culture, I've been there myself, that out of fear, we actually, what we do is we dishonor the husband's authority when we want to protect our kids from their own father, and what we end up getting is disrespectful kids. We've all been around kids like this where you're like, where is your parents? And um, mama's boys and manipulative girls who know how to get their way. So this is the fruit of trying to arm wrestle and take the reins and not allow a man to lead. 
So men, I want to encourage you this morning. Some of you might feel like we felt when we got married. We didn't come out of two homes that had these biblical um, examples of marriage. We'd come from divorced families, and we were first-generation Christians, and we had no idea what we were doing. But everybody has to start somewhere. And so I want to give you some encouragement today if you feel like, yep, it's me, I'm the problem, you know. We're ready to get back on track. Where do I start? I want to encourage you, men's prayer on Tuesday morning, I believe, is the beginning. It's the battleground. It's the inception point for where you learn to be a man of God. You can bring some of the issues that you're going through in your home life. Men can gather around you. They can pray for you. They can give you wisdom. You can hear how other men are praying and get that same spirit on you as you learn to unravel some of the patterns of the past because we've all been there, and I want to say we are a living, breathing testimony. Like, if we can stay married, if we can do it, if we can be building a life that is beautiful and fulfilling and full of the goodness of God, I promise you, you are probably light years ahead of where we started. So take a deep breath this morning. And wives, if you don't know where to start in allowing your husbands to lead you, I would like to invite you to Cherish Prayer on Tuesday mornings at 7 and at 9. Because I think as wives, our tendency could be this Jezebel spirit, control, fear. Maybe my husband isn't the man of God that I want him to be. And so until he is, I've got to do it all myself. And we try to nag and we try to correct and we try to be the mom. And really, there is nothing like the power of a praying wife. You would be, oh my gosh, there are so many times where I'm like, God, you love me so much. Because something that I was frustrated about, something that I could never see changing, that I would pray about and ask God to help me with, like someone else would come and bring it to my husband. Someone else would encourage him in that area. Or he would be spending time with the Lord and feeling like, you know what, this needs to shift. This needs to change. And I'm like, I didn't have to get into the mess. Like God actually did the work that I was believing for. So watch him, ladies, as you begin to pray over nagging, watch God turn him into the man of your dreams. All right, point number two, how do you deal with highly emotional moments? So an Ahab spirit likes to keep the peace rather than making the peace. He refuses to confront. He sees wrong but is afraid of the consequences of standing up to it. So he allows emotions, chaos, and unrighteousness to rule. Jezebel reacts all out of emotion, loses sight of what is right, pursues evil ways to get what she wants, manipulates others, and I have to say is way more than just 10% psycho, okay? Some of you know what I'm talking about. But there's a story in the book of 1 Kings, and um, in this story, King Ahab wants to buy this vineyard that is right next to the palace, and it's owned by somebody else, and so he goes and tries to purchase this property. He says, it's right next to my palace. I'd love to use it for a garden. The vineyard owner says, no, this is like land that I've inherited from my family. I cannot sell this to you. It's not for sale. Nothing you could offer me would give up this land, and so Jezebel takes this, you know, challenge that they're having in their marriage, in their finances, in their family, and she says, is this how you act as king of Israel? I'll just take care of it myself, okay? So she gets crazy. She gets overreactive. She actually hatches this entire scheme to falsely accuse this owner of the vineyard of like being against the king, saying things against God so that he's stoned to death, okay? So her way of taking care of it was to get emotional, to get crazy, and she tells Ahab her plan, and he is fine with it, you guys. He's like, perfect. 
um, I'm going to get what I want in the end. And so I'm just going to allow her to be crazy. And so this is when I want to say, Ahab, how was your husbandry? He didn't confront her irrational, emotional behavior and allowed an innocent man to die to get what he wanted. But husbands, are you washing your wife with the water of the word? And I love that picture in the word of God. It's not, are you beating her over the head with it? Are you reminding her of what God says? Are you criticizing her and correcting her and constantly making her feel like a failure when she doesn't measure up or she has a bad moment or she has an emotional moment where she loses control? Or are you washing her with the water of God's word? I feel like you know, there's been so many moments where my husband has tried to help me, and because I was crazy emotional at that moment, I was triggered, I was reactive, I did not allow his leadership or his voice in my life. And so we've worked this way out where, you know, I might have a moment, something comes up, and he'll say to me, and this is free for the husbands today, he says, babe, can I speak into your life right now? Because sometimes the answer is no. Usually it's not no. But when you ask like that, I'm like, uh-huh, like I probably need to hear it. This is probably the grace of God. Or he'll tell me things like, you know, babe, um, don't send that text right now. Let's wait on it. Let's think about it. You know, by tomorrow, I'm sure many things will have worked themselves out. Like this is the voice of wisdom. This is the voice of reason. Or sometimes, you know, like that Jezebel moment of like, I didn't get what I want. I'm going to make it right. I know how to do this. You didn't do a good job, so I'm going to fix this for us. But he'll tell me, babe, we're bigger than this. You're bigger than this. Don't let this offense of that vineyard owner, of not getting your way, of not getting you what you wanted, of being told no, or someone not, you know, seeing you the way you thought they should. Don't let this offense take you out. God has something for our life. God has a bigger picture for us. There's a vision. There's a purpose. There's a calling on our life. This isn't worth it. We're going to do the right thing. But Ahab allowed his wife's emotions to lead the way. So wives, do you break into a tantrum whenever you don't get your way? Do you allow your emotions to rule and reign and lead you into poor decisions that usually allow other people to be hurt along the way? Have you given your husband access to speak into your heart? And so one thing that I, God has been showing me lately is that when you come under your husband's leadership, ladies, it's not, you don't get control, you get covering. And there's a big difference. People have... Um, tried to manipulate this biblical view of marriage as you're going to come under, someone's going to control you, you have to submit, you have no voice, it's his way or the highway. But in fact, when a man of God is leading the way that the Bible says to lead, it is sacrifice, it is going first, it is protection, it is him covering you from making mistakes, it is him leading you to the right places. To, you know, I, I've gotten to a place 15 years in marriage where it's not perfect by any means, but I know that I know that I know that I would follow this man to the end of the earth. Whatever he said is our next mountain to climb, I would say I'm going with you. I'm not about to be left behind because I know that he is leading me to Jesus. He is leading me to the plans and purposes of God for our family. And we've developed that trust and I've allowed him to cover me. I've allowed him to protect me. I've allowed myself to come under his authority for the purpose of blessing in our marriage. So final question, and we're going to end today, is what is the fruit of your marriage? The fruit of an Ahab-Jezebel marriage is strife, deceit, betrayal, unforgiveness, pain, selfishness, and ultimately they experience separation and death. 
But the fruit of a marriage God's way, and this is going to encourage us this morning, is being in sync, in step with one another. It's unity. It's joy. It's peace. It's forgiveness. And it's an ability, like we saw in that improv dance, to weather difficult seasons, difficult situations with grace, with ease, without losing our rhythm, without losing our momentum. And I just believe this morning, you know, there's an interesting scripture in Revelation, the very end of the Bible, and it's to the churches, and it says, nevertheless, it's Revelations 2.20. We might have it on the screen. I have a few things against you, he says to the church. God says to the church, because you allow that woman Jezebel. Another translation says, because you have tolerated that woman Jezebel. And I think when we come to a message like this and it's confronting and it's truth and it's the meat of the word of God and it's a little bit challenging, um, it's easy to say, you know what, I don't know where to start. I've kind of lost some hope and I'm just going to sort of tolerate it because it's easier. And I feel like um, in this process of God calling our church to maturity and our marriages to a place of maturity, there has to be something that rises up on the inside of us by the Spirit of God that says, I will no longer tolerate this cycle. I will no longer tolerate. I will no longer, honestly, tolerate the devil stealing my peace, my joy, what everything that God has for me. Why have I tolerated a mediocre marriage where I feel frustrated and misunderstood and that things aren't working? But I really want to prophesy over us this morning that that picture we saw on the screen, like something about watching it just made you so happy. Like there was so much joy watching the two become one and being in step with one another. And some of you, you've lost your groove, but I really feel that you're going to get your house in order. And after this message, you're going to have some good, healthy conversation. And I see you dancing again, and it's actually going to be unlike the dance that you danced at the beginning of your marriage or before, or before you came to Christ, but like the purposes that God has for your marriage, he wants to pour them out over you. He wants to fill you with joy. He wants to fill your marriage with sweetness again. He doesn't want you to live in frustration. You're gonna go through stretching, difficult circumstances, but you're gonna do it hand in hand and you're gonna fight the good fight. You're not gonna fight against one another, but you're gonna fight against the enemy. You're gonna be wise to the enemy's tactics. And when, you know, a trigger happens, when a low moment happens, you're gonna understand, no, 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 I know what's going on here. I actually have authority over all the power of the enemy. I don't have to tolerate these cycles of dysfunction anymore, but I have authority. God has given us authority over all the power of the enemy. And so this took me a long time to realize this, that I didn't have to just let the enemy torment me and just let him harass me and just let him steal, kill, and destroy my joy and my peace. And so I want us to all stand this morning and I'm not gonna call anybody forward because maybe one spouse would wanna come and one wouldn't. I just thought about that. But also I feel like all of us maybe have a little bit of work to do with the Lord and asking him, where have I tolerated this spirit? Where have I allowed myself to be something I never wanted to be? And I feel like this morning there is um, 
some things, you don't know what you don't know, right? But the word of God, it reveals truth to us. It is the spirit of wisdom and revelation when we read the word of God and it helps us see what we couldn't see before. And so I just wanna pray over the marriages um, this morning who feel like you need a touch of God. You need to get some things in order. The beautiful thing is we don't do this in our own strength. We don't go home and say, you know what? I'm not gonna be like that anymore. I'm gonna be a good wife. I'm not gonna do X, Y, and Z or husbands. I'm not gonna, I'm gonna get it together. I'm gonna go home. I'm gonna figure it out. I'm gonna write out all my goals. I'm gonna figure out how I'm gonna do all these things. Like we don't do this in our own strength, but it's the spirit of God that helps us in our weaknesses. It helps us become something that we are not. And it's God's power working within us to change us from the inside out. It's not the outside in. It's not just fix your behavior, like get it together, hold it together, but it's asking the Lord, God, I need you. I need your help. I give you my marriage. I give you our family. I give you our children. I give you our future. And honestly, this is something that plays out in other relationships and family dynamics and friendships. And so God, we invite you, Holy Spirit, this morning to do the work of the great physician of coming in, healing our hearts. God, helping us see the counselor the Bible says that the Holy Spirit's our counselor, that you would do work as our counselor. God, you would be our marriage counselor this morning. God, that we wouldn't have to go out and make a million appointments. Maybe some of us do, but this morning we would get, um, God, what only you can do. And Lord, where we have tolerated, come into agreement, allowed these demonic influences to destroy and take from our marriage. God, we repent this morning. It was in that room, in my daughter's room, that I got out of my bed and I got on my knees and I said, God, forgive me. I have been so blind. God, forgive me for my pride. Forgive me for doing things my own way. Forgive me for giving into a spirit of fear that led to a spirit of control. Forgive me, God, for my part in this. Not just fix my husband. God, would you forgive me? And so, God, would you forgive us this morning where we've transgressed the word of God, where we've stepped out of the divine order for our relationships, God. The Bible says that if we submit to God, we resist the devil, he will flee. So God, we resist, Lord, any attack that the enemy has. We actually bind it and break it this morning. God, we bind and we break any spirit of Jezebel, any spirit of Ahab, any demonic influence that would come to torment and to control and to manipulate the people of God this morning. We won't tolerate it anymore. We draw a line in the sand this morning and we say from this moment on, everything's gonna be different in our house. We are gonna work together. We are gonna pray together. We are going to be quick to forgive. We are going to build our life on the foundation of God's word, and we are going to see our joy come back. I prophesy that your joy is going to come back, that date nights are going to get sweeter, that intimacy is going to flow again, that there's going to be a trust and a healing and a restoration and a breakthrough in your marriage like you've never seen before. Don't let the, de the devil lie to you and say it's just for a couple people in here this morning, or maybe things are too far gone. It's not for you. This this message is for all of us this morning as we add our yes and amen and say yes to the word of God. So Lord, I thank you for a blessing on every marriage. It would be the greatest Valentine's Day, the greatest Valentine's week. God, we thank you for every promise you have for every person in the room. God, it's yes and amen this morning. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen. For more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com. 
or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.